6: this is Gretchen Whitmer and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program.
2: Hey, welcome back everybody. This is the Tom Sumner program. And um, my uh, apologies this is going to be kind of difficult to explain during the live show. When we were producing the show live, the studio went down and was uh, off the air for about an hour. So, uh we will continue with candidates from the 8th ward uh, in the uh city council primary that'll be decided on August 3rd that's coming up just a little less than uh, 2 weeks away but these things happen in fact I'll uh, I'll just share the the story with you it's a little a little weird um just as i was getting to the uh the 10 o'clock hour to start the second hour of the show there was some work being done outside and workers came across a cable that had been chewed almost all the way through and it subsequently broke while well, it turned out to be internet which operates everything in the studio so the entire studio was down for an hour while i had someone come and repair the cable I got back on the uh, on the air for the third hour. So coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, you will hear more candidates from the 8th Ward. We started out this morning with the incumbent uh, Alan Griggs, and uh, there are three other candidates. Unfortunately, I was not able to uh, squeeze William C. Harris in, I will try to make that up to him and, and get him on the show. I, w- I was hoping to stay consistent with the other shows that we had done over the last, uh, well, this is the sixth of uh, six shows we did focusing on the wards that will be included uh, in the August 3rd primary. Now, the way that works, the there's only a primary if you have two or m- Well, if you have more than two candidates, because the primary picks the top two and they go on to November. So the 1st, 5th, and ninth wards don't have more than two candidates. So those will not be on the August 3rd ballots. Uh, But I I was able to get almost all of the candidates running in the... uh, second third and fourth wards and the um, sixth seventh and eighth wards today being the uh, the eighth ward and uh, again my apologies uh, these things happen now what I'm uh, going to do is I'm going to replace the 10 o'clock hour for playbacks and subsequent replays of today's show so the only time that the show was missing an hour was during the live production, from 9 a.m. to noon. There will be a three-hour show repeating, but what, but what's going to happen, is the um, rest of the uh, eighth ward candidates will be coming up in the third hour instead of being consecutive. Instead, I'm going to have a conversation coming up here in in just a just a minute or two, with uh, Brantley Underhill. And he's going to talk about COVID and uh, the effect that it has on caregivers, and and we'll squeeze some other things in uh, during this hour. But then coming up in the third hour, we will uh, get back to the candidates from the 8th Ward in that uh, primary coming up August 3rd. And uh, I, d- I did get a chance to talk to uh, one write-in candidate, and I will remind people there is a uh, forum going on at Burston tomorrow. I believe it's at ten o'clock in the morning, with um, several write-in candidates. That's uh, a little a little unusual, but uh, there are some write-in candidates, and uh, you can find out more about them at that forum tomorrow so my apologies to William C Harris and I will try to make it up to you sir um, and uh, my appreciation to uh, all of the uh, the other candidates the challengers that uh, we we had to move times around a little bit to uh, accommodate that that uh, technical breakdown but um, but anyway let's carry on with the show and uh, I, I hope you uh, I hope you appreciate it Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, My my guest this hour is the um, North America Managing Director for Project Management Institute. We're going to talk about uh, caregivers and the impact of the pandemic on the uh, more than 40 million caregivers in this country with... um, Brantley Underhill, who joins me by phone. Hi, Brantley. Welcome to the show.
0: Hi. How are you today?
2: I'm doing okay. Um, I'm, I'm stunned by the fact that, uh, is it one in five Americans are caregivers?
0: Yes, that's correct. It's, uh, it's about over 50 million people who are caring for another individual. Uh, you know, a caregiver can be someone like you or me. We might be helping someone get access to their medicine, providing transportation to their medical appointments. It could be buying and delivering them groceries or cooking their meals. So a lot of people are assuming this role of caregiver, whether they've really considered it or not. Just helping someone else, a family, friend, neighbor, can be a caregiving responsibility.
2: Has being a caregiver... Um changed um and and have the numbers of caregivers increased because of during and uh, the pandemic i guess
0: the, the, the numbers are increasing and in fact uh, it, since the start of the pandemic 2.3 million women have left the workforce uh we're hearing a lot about the pressure that is being put on moms and dads and others that have to care for children. Uh, you just think about homeschooling or virtual schooling and you know, some of it is really a lot for people and, and they're making choices to, to leave the workforce, put their careers on hold. And I think disproportionately there's been more women than men leaving the workforce. In fact, we're now at the lowest levels of women in the workforce since 1988.
2: Brantley, I mentioned uh, Project Management Institute. You've been with them for quite a while now. But what is Project Management Institute's mission and and what do we think of when we use that phrase, project management?
0: Yeah, at PMI, the Project Management Institute, our people help make ideas a reality. You know, a a project uh, can transcend any industry, any geography, and we do a lot of research at our association which advocates for the profession of project management. Our most recent talent gap report shows that 25 million new project professionals are going to be needed by the year 2030 to fill the talent gap. And this is being driven by a higher demand for project-oriented skills and people as well as the result of retiring professionals. I've certainly known a few people who have thrown up their hands as a result of this pandemic and said, I'm retiring, I'm done, and therefore this gap is increasing and we need more people to to help fill the gap so our economies can keep moving along.
2: What's What's an example of a project?
0: Oh, wow. So I'll give you a couple examples. Yeah, you please. Know, putting uh, putting a man in space all right you know we've seen many movies and stories and documentaries about what it takes to put a person in space and you think about all of the planning and scheduling uh, and execution that goes into that not to mention the immense amount of risk management that has to happen and then you know afterwards, you know, how did the mission go? Did it go as planned? Did something go wrong? You're kind of taking a retrospective and looking at how that actually went. Um, you know, on a more maybe simplistic uh, day-to-day experience, planning a party, planning a graduation party, planning a wedding. Many people don't realize the, uh, the, the work that goes into planning and executing an event like that, and, and that's essentially a project. A project is something that has a start and an end date. So you put it in that context. Anything with a start and end date is a project, and you are being a project manager.
2: Uh, is corporate America taking advantage of uh, project managers um, for things that historically were done by the full-time, long-term staff?
0: Yeah, I think that um, well, PMI, Project Management Institute, has been in existence since 1969, so we have a 50-year history. Even though I would say project management has been around since the beginning of time, um, and our our institute was really born out of people, a group of volunteers who were working in construction and engineering industries. Uh, and started to bring people together to create more formal standardization of how the work gets done. And today, projects are executed, the uh, change is executed through projects. So you think about any strategic change that an organization is going through, they're going to need a project or a set of projects to do that. And that's where PMI comes in. We provide the standards and the certifications for people and organizations. To be able to skill, upskill, reskill, have the capability and competency to help themselves and their organizations be successful.
2: Now that we're moving, uh, hopefully, out of this uh, this pandemic and, and restrictions are, are beginning to to be uh, pulled back. Um, we're returning to normal and some people are saying a new normal what is this going to mean going forward for women for example who dropped out of the workplace uh, because of the demands on their times at home
0: yeah well not only the women but caregivers in general uh, they come with this innate set of skills they they possess empathy they have an innovative mindset They're great at collaborating with and leading others. So these are a set of skills that we at PMI call power skills, and they are crucial to the capability of a project manager or someone working in a project management-oriented role. Uh, Yes, the strategic and business-oriented skills are important. The technical skills are important, but in recent years we've heard more and more about the importance of these power skills. So at PMI we want to help caregivers, <clears throat> women, men, everyone, find a professional path to project management when they're looking to re-enter or enter the workforce and to focus on their professional life. Um, you know, one, one resource I want to mention is that PMI has over hundred and forty chapters in the United States. And our chapters provide the local face-to-face networking and professional development on uh, broad as well as very niche topics of project management and leadership and business management. And of course, in the last year, much of this interaction has been virtual. But when, when we get back to whatever that new normal is, uh, people are anxious to get back together face-to-face. And so, I would encourage our caregivers to seek out a PMI chapter or even visit us at pmi.org slash caregivers to access some of the resources available that we're making available to them.
2: More with Brantley Underhill from Project Management Institute straight ahead.
4: Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
6: Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show.
2: More with Brantley Underhill from Project Management Institute straight ahead. How can Project Management Institute, or just even the concept of project management, how does that balance the demands on people who have gotten used to for the last year and a half being able to be caregivers and work from home um, now that they're they're able to get out of their homes to to go to work
0: yeah well we work with a lot of well PMI has nearly 700,000 members worldwide we work with organizations, academic institutions, all sorts of uh, training providers. And uh, I can speak to my own experience that uh, I'm a mom. I have a nine-year-old son uh, who has spent most of the last 18 months at home. Um, I was doing virtual homeschooling. I had to be creative and innovative and collaborative with him to to keep him educated and moving along and 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 keeping him occupied while also managing my my job responsibilities all from the same location Uh, we're all living in the same house uh and many caregivers are living not only with children but maybe elderly parents there's multi-generational households that are having to be managed uh, and a lot going on with people having to, to keep their careers going now we've heard that some organizations uh, are bringing people back into the office. But I think a lot remains to be seen on exactly what that new normal is and how people will return to an office or not. I, I can speak from my own experience that we've demonstrated very high productivity during the last 18 months while we're all working from our home locations. So I think, you know, if and when, when things return to a, a state of normalcy, it's going to look different. I think we're going to be working differently and we're going to be accessing our networks uh, more intently than we ever have in order to keep the productivity going
2: yeah it's it's um it's interesting things sort of ground to a halt very suddenly. In March and April of 2020. Now that we're looking at going back, it's not like we can flip a switch and and all of a sudden just pick up where we left off. Things things are going to be different for a lot of people. As you mentioned, uh, specifically uh, a large number of women who have left the workplace during the pandemic, but there have been many, many others whose The businesses that they worked for or maybe the businesses that they owned uh, ended up having to close permanently uh, because of this uh, uh, because of the shutdowns uh, during the pandemic Um, for people who have just become literally unemployed during this period of time um, is is project management something that they could or should look into, or is there a certain type of person for whom that might be the next step?
0: At PMI, we serve people of, of all ages. I mean, we have uh, our chapters and our educational foundation that work with young school-age children all the way up to uh, beyond retirement age. Uh, It really is a a skill, a career, uh, a a competency for individuals and organizations to consider uh, if they uh, are are looking to make a difference in the world. And, uh, And I mentioned not only the power skills, the empathy, innovation, collaboration, and leadership, but the strategic and business-oriented skills, the, uh, the new ways of working that are starting to emerge, the technical skills of uh, how do I put a plan together, uh, who are the, the team members or the people that are going to help me execute this plan, uh, what is success going to look like, what is the definition of done. Uh, what if something goes wrong in the middle of it? How am I going to mitigate that? You know, anticipating what could go wrong and managing the risks. Uh, and what is considered a high-quality product? I think you know, all of us probably go through some level of deduction on those things in our personal lives every day. Uh, I gave the examples of planning a wedding or graduation party. Uh, you know, you're thinking through those things as you're, you're planning and trying to create a really great experience for those that you're serving or those that you're bringing to the party or the organization that you're, you're working for. Uh, so all of these things uh, translate into uh, a role in project management. And, you know, maybe not everyone wants to lead the project. Uh, maybe they want to be a project team member or uh, someone that we call a change maker uh, who is uh, a person that possesses or can possess a project-oriented skills, but not, might not actually be the, the project leader. Uh, an example of that could be an accountant or a financial analyst. Uh, you know, there's, there's people out there that uh, have a career designated for them already and they identify with a specific career and they don't think of themselves as project managers, but they probably have some project management oriented skills and that's where PMI can be a resource to them. We're not trying to turn everybody into a project manager. Uh, If they they want to, that's great, but if they they want to bolster their power skills and their technical skills, that's where PMI steps in and, and helps them do
1: that
2: it It sounds like well, at least what we 've been talking about, Brantley. It sounds like p m i uh, can um, really help people figure out how to approach project management, but what about people who aren 't sure what comes next? Are there programs and services that that might help someone who has given up a career? and decided to do something new but doesn't know exactly what that is yet? Or do they have to sort that all out before approaching uh, PMI for assistance in the how-to?
0: Oh, no, absolutely not. You can go directly to PMI.org slash caregivers, and on that page we have available many resources that is going to help one get started or to even revisit what they started already uh, in terms of project management-oriented skills. We have uh, a a digital application called Kickoff. Uh, Kickoff is a way to teach the fundamentals of project management. It's free. It's something you can access on your phone or on your laptop. It takes under an hour to go through the course and just learn the language of project management because... Sometimes that can be the biggest challenge. Uh, You find that you might have these skills and capabilities already, but you don't always call it what the industry is calling it or what the organization is calling it. And so Kickoff is a tool that will help one learn the basics of project management, learn the language of it, and help you put your experience uh, and your set of experiences into a project management context.
7: To what? Uh, if I could
0: elaborate, yeah, if I could elaborate a please. bit further here, I'll, I'll, I'll go in a bit out of the tangent. Um, we have a, a, a great opportunity in the U.S. with um, U.S. military and veterans. Uh, many military veterans come out of their service and they're they're looking for employment. It's one of the largest segments of unemployment in the United States. And what a lot of military may not realize is that. They have project management skills. They were managing and executing missions uh, with very high risk. And so our network, our community within PMI, uh, our members, our training providers and organizations can help military translate their experience into project management. So we have people that will sit down with them and say, well, tell me what you did during your term of service. What does that look like? What what outcomes did you achieve? And they'll put that into a format for them, like a resume or update their LinkedIn profile that will actually help prepare them to take a PMI certification uh, and help place them into a job. So it's really amazing how much of these project management-oriented skills many of us have, but we lack the language or the, the transferability of putting that into a language and that's where PMI's community uh, of over a million people is going to help them get back on their feet.
2: But the, the, does that include the, the placement component?
0: With, through our network, yes. So PMI will help an individual qualify and uh, certify in project management. So we have a, a series of project management certifications uh, some of you may be familiar with the PMP, the Project Management Professional. That is our, our flagship certification. Uh, uh, and many people uh, coming out of military service are are prepared uh, for the, the PMP. Uh, and then when they work with our training providers, uh, they can help translate their experience into a resume and LinkedIn profile and help place them into jobs.
2: The... Um how much uh, of this um, uh, training and and resource sharing deals with with time management because I would suspect that a lot of people who became caregivers um, or or their caregiving responsibilities increased during the pandemic will carry those caregiving responsibilities forward into the new normal. Um, how do how do people move on past the pandemic without leaving their caregiving responsibilities behind?
0: Yeah, it's definitely a balance, right? And we know that caregivers need to the support themselves, so that's where PMI can step in to provide them access to. Uh, the skills to build those power skills, or even the, the professional development programming. So our courses, in, in normal times, we have many offerings that are face-to-face, of course. A lot of that is on, on hold and has transitioned into virtual programming. So if you're looking to get skilled in project management, you could take a digital course, uh, and you could take your time working through that course. We have some people that want to sit down and take a virtual course over the, the, a period of two days, and we have others that say, you know what, let me, let me do this at a self-paced program. Uh, and that's okay too, because we realize that not everyone is in a position to sit in a classroom, even if it's a virtual classroom for two or four days. Uh, but they want to be able to pace themselves while they're taking care of their other responsibilities. So, we have a, a portfolio of offerings that help accommodate the, the schedules uh, and programming that, that those wishing to develop want to pursue.
2: I'm glad you mentioned um, moving courses to online versions of the uh, of the in-person uh, courses and trainings, um, because a lot of places have had to do that for a variety of. Uh, Their business functions Um, does and and now they're looking at continuing some of those things even post pandemic uh, because of the of the convenience of of it for uh, all participants. But um, is 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 there a benefit for for PMI um, to return to in person? Training.
0: We have a community that is quite motivated to return to face-to-face programming, uh, and that I mentioned that we have nearly seven hundred thousand members globally. But we're also an association that has about fifteen thousand volunteers globally, and they consider themselves a family. Uh, and it's, it's, it's they're very passionate about PMI and project management, and also networking and collaborating with one another. So for them, they're very anxious to get back to seeing one another face to face. And a lot of this happens at our local chapter level as well. You know, when when we shut things down in March of 2020, uh, our chapters who were used to getting. Mm, you know, a a segment of their membership coming to in-person meetings, many of them told us that their virtual meetings started booming. They started increasing with the amount of people that were showing up month over month because people didn't have to commute. They didn't have to take hours out of their day to go to an event. They could just do it from the comfort of their home. But I'm sure that as you may be experiencing, people are getting some of that Zoom fatigue, They're anxious to get back to seeing uh, their colleagues face-to-face, and PMI will continue to offer hybrid programming going forward. We want to be able to appeal to those that are comfortable getting together in person, face-to-face, as well as those that want to continue to access the programming virtually
2: you know one one group that that comes to mind right off the bat that's been significantly impacted by uh the the pandemic that might be looking to do something new or different are people who worked in restaurants either the operators themselves or wait staff and kitchen staff and and uh, so on um is this something anyone should take a look at or Is there a certain type of person that could benefit best from what PMI has to offer?
0: Uh, I think anyone could benefit. In fact, one of our certifications is called the Risk Management Professional, and we have seen a great uptick in interest uh, as well as people obtaining that particular certification. You know, and since you mentioned the, the restaurant, I have to tell you that I have a friend Uh, locally here in the Philadelphia area, who started her own business a couple years ago. Uh, She started a Hawaiian acai fruit bowl company off of a food truck, and (laughs) she moved it uh, about two years ago into a brick-and-mortar restaurant setting. And then when the pandemic hit last year, of course, all the restaurants were shut down. She just rolled her truck out into the parking lot, and her business doubled. Uh, She was able to use food delivery services like DoorDash and Grubhub. And it was such an amazing success story because she's an entrepreneur, started this business out of a food truck. She finally was growing to move into a brick-and-mortar restaurant. But then that got shut down, so she reverted back to the truck, and it's been a huge success. So when I think of her and all that she's had to go through, to manage that situation, the risk, and, again, being innovative and demonstrating leadership to be able to flip to the food truck uh, and be successful through this, it's been an amazing story. And I think that uh, many of us just need that, that network and community to think through what's challenging us or putting our plans on hold. And that's one of the amazing parts of PMI. It's magical that way when we connect in with others and say try this, try that, and kind of give you the support to go out and, and try new
1: things.
2: That's that's a great story, and 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 I've heard a couple others like that in other parts of the country where someone went to, you know, went from a brick and mortar uh, operation in in the food service industry, and and went to um, an online version. And ended up doing tremendously well in um, in fact there there were even some networks that that started up as a result of that of uh, um, using using online platforms as ways for people to reach um, people in their own communities that had food service offerings but needed a way to to reach people um Yeah,
0: Absolutely. So whether you're the small business owner or you're the CEO of Netflix or DoorDash, uh, you're going to benefit from what we do at the Project Management Institute. Uh, I even look at my next door neighbors. um, They must get food delivery services every day (laughs) since the pandemic began. (laughs) And I, I look at these people driving up and the businesses that are delivering. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is going on within that particular business? Because they've had to ensure that their websites are functioning, they're they're quick and fast, and they're not overloaded. And that whole, we've heard so much about the supply chain and the disruption of the supply chain. And all you have to do is look out your window and, and see what's going on in your neighborhood to know that things are different today. And people, over the course of 18 months, new habits have been developed, and they're not going to change. So whatever, you know, there, there's no such thing as going back to the way it was. There is definitely a new normal emerging. And however uh, we can be prepared and skilled to, to manage through that change, uh, that's something that we at PMI think that we help people do quite well.
2: Uh, my guest is uh, Brantley Underhill. She's the uh, managing director of North America for the Project Management Institute, or PMI. And um, Brantley, we're we're just about out of time. But I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. And so I thought I'd uh, see number one if there's a website, and number two, how easy is it for people to become? Um, indoctrinated or acclimated to PMI's uh, resources?
0: Yes. So first, you can visit us at pmi.org slash caregivers to access all of our free resources that are going to help you enhance your career, maybe help you get back into the workforce. Check out one of our local U.S.-based chapters. And... Uh, we want to be here for you when you're ready. We want you to know that you're not alone, uh, and PMI is there for you to, to walk alongside of you on this journey.
2: Well, Brantley, thank you so much for spending this time with me this morning, and keep up the good work.
0: Thank you so much, and be well.
2: Take care. Again, that was uh, Brantley Underhill, the um, Managing Director of North America for PMI or Project Management Institute. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <music>
7: super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine then last until July are super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm and if you got a better <coughs> now back in 1918 influenza had its run but half the docs were busy overseas with world war one today we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus well then stay six feet away super damn important that we practice isolation because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation will overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation it's super damn important that we practice isolation if we don't do it, then we're all gonna die If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart Because it's already scary and we're only at the start If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilised Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus If we don't act quick and social, distance, it will mire us In a stretch of quarantine, they'll last until July Oh, super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. I'm Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint
1: fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay
2: dangerous.
1: Darkwing Duck out.
5: This is U.S. Senator Gary
4: Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
2: Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, now we're back to uh, talking to candidates for Flint City Council from the 8th Ward, that primary election coming up August 3rd. And my next guest is uh, one of the challengers in that race, William C. Harris. Will, welcome to the show.
8: Thank you. Thank you, Tom. glad to be here. I appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Now, I'm going to ask you something I ask uh, everybody um, that's running for Flint City Council, with the reputation the council has for meetings that run into the wee hours of the morning and sometimes miss deadlines on uh, decision-making and don't always get through the agenda. um, Why on earth would you want to run for Flint City Council?
8: I, whether you know it or not, I get asked that question all the time. Um,
2: <laughs> do your friends and family think you're a little bit crazy, Will?
8: Actually, they do. My, uh, <laughs> my mom says, "Why on earth would you want to be associated or run with that?" You know, you don't. Are you sure this is what you want to do? And my answer is always yes. This is what I want to do. Um, from from a teenager who attended Carmen Ainsworth um, High School. I've always been involved in politics. In fact, uh, one of my favorite shows is actually series of The West Wing. Oh, so hey, I'm,
2: I own all seven seasons on DVD, so you're preaching to the I, choir, Will.
8: <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. I, I love The West Wing. Uh, President, President Bartlett is my favorite. <laughs> um, so... I've always had this natural liking and then also a passion for um uh, politics, but the reason why I want to get involved in um for the city council is one because we need leadership. It's time that we have an active voice in the community and it's been passive for so long and it's been drowned out by you know other council members and things of that nature and so I want to be the kind of person that leads not only a strong voice, but a stern voice that's honest, that's transparent, and that has the weight of integrity behind it. And I want to really do what's best for not just the 8th Ward, but also for the city of Flint as a whole. We've been going backwards for so long. I, I, I don't know, you know, the old adage is, you know, take you know, two steps forward, one step back. But it seems like we take two steps forward and three steps back. So I, I want to be able to try to help and rein, not reinvent the wheel, but help us keep moving forward instead of taking all these steps back.
2: Well, have you run for office before?
8: Honestly, um, I have not run for public office before, so this would be my first time. And
2: well, that um, kind of that kind of begs the question. You know, what? what is your background, and if you were elected, what do you bring to the table?
8: Okay, so my background is basically I have a Bachelor's of Science from uh, the Midwestern College of Theology. Um, my degree is in Biblical Studies with an emphasis on uh, business administration. I'm currently going for my Master's in Theology, with also the same emphasis in business administration. But my background basically has been dealing with customer service and community service. Um, I'm currently an, an ordained elder in the Church of God in Christ. I've attended our attend greater Holy Temple uh, Church of God in Christ in Flint, Michigan on Dorton Carpenter. And so I've always been active in the community from the church perspective. And then when the water crisis hit, Um, I threw myself into um, full-fledged, what's the word I'm looking for, into community service. And so my background is basically getting in there, getting in the trenches, finding out how to improve people's lives, trying to find out how to make things go a better operation, not so much a better fit, but how to make things that much more uh, productive. Um, also for the last three and a half years I've been working for a diplomat a specialty pharmacy here in the city of Flint which was just recently bought out by uh, the United health um, uh, the United health uh, care group and so I've been working for optum so I deal with terminal ill patients with um, oncology medications so I'm always people I'm always in customer service and dealing with the city council is dealing with customer service on a daily basis and so if that would be my background that would be my background is is that i'm just you know i'm a person that likes people that loves people that wants to get engaged and that wants to help them out
2: do you think one person on the city council uh can influence the the behavior of of their colleagues and and um create a more civil uh atmosphere
8: Honestly, it's, it, it, it takes one, but it also takes um, the communication of that one to the rest of them. You know, it, it's, it's interesting, but um, there's a book out there called The Power of Me. And so in, in that book, you understand the power that you as a person, as an individual, that you have. And so yes one individual can change the uh, uh the confines as far as communication goes on the council now does it always work not necessarily does it um but you try to hope that you know your new approach is not adversarial and it's not combative and i think that's the issue and I think that's the real issue that we come in with we come in with the with the mindset of I'm going to get this done as an individual and not the mindset of I'm coming to represent the people of the city of Flint and of the ward in which I represent and so when you always have the people on the forefront of your mind and then also again dealing with customer service and then also how you look you know when you're in, interacting engaging with people Communication um, is key. You know, my father has a saying saying that it's okay to disagree. It's a problem. I want to be the voice that doesn't disconnect, but we disagree to agree to find mutual ground to keep moving forward.
2: You know, you mentioned the water crisis, and, and Flint has certainly had... Um, its share of problems over the last several decades, starting with loss of jobs, which led to declining revenue for city government, which led to emergency managers, which led to a Flint water crisis. And then we had the pandemic. The history of Flint is one of uh, um Several times in its history, going back a hundred plus years, it's had to reinvent itself and become a comeback city. Can Flint do that again, and how? And what would that look like?
8: Flint can Flint number one can it can be the comeback city and be the model for other industrialized cities in the Midwest and in the United States as a whole. um Many people don't know, but I'm originally from Houston, Texas. And so Houston went through this exact same thing in the 80s um, when OPEC came into being and they capped off the natural gas and oil wells and they started shipping all their business out to um, the Middle East. Well, you know, Houston came together with a 30-year I and mean, even 40-year point plan to get them to where they are today. They had to reinvent the wheel for themselves. So no longer were there going to be an oil and gas town But now Houston has the most premier medical center in the entire country, and it even um, competes on a worldwide level when it comes to um, those issues. And so Flint has to come to, uh, we have to find out what is a good niche. So they want to be a college town, which is fine. However, it does no good for us to produce quality students and they don't stay. So we have to find a way, if we're going to be a college town, which is a good mode for us to go into, we have to find a way to keep those college graduates as they graduate from Kettering, as they graduate from the University of Michigan Flint, as they graduate from Mott Community College and the various other colleges that are feeder colleges in through Mott, how to stay here and and how to get them involved in the community and how to keep jobs here. We have a lot of people that want, that are inventors and are innovators, but when they can't get business investors to their ideas, they're not they're going to go somewhere else to where they can get their ideas, where they can get the pushing and the backing to go. So there's several different ways in which Flint can go in which to remodify itself. We've got Hurley. Um, that has done an outstanding job in the revamping of the hospital. We have McLaren that's also here. We have, um, Genesis Hospital that's, you know, up the road, even though it's not directly in Flint. They have a lot of clinics that are here in Flint. Um, healthcare is a way that we can go. Transportation is a way we can go. Flint is literally the largest city in the 69, um, in the I-69 corridor. Um, we're the largest city when you well, when you get outside of Saginaw. Flint is the largest city that you really have to travel through going north. That you have to travel through going to Port of Huron and even into Canada, and that you have to go through from Canada going into Chicago and the other areas, and even Detroit. So there are a lot of areas for Flint to grow into. We just need to find a way to tap into the areas that we can focus on to grow.
2: Well, we've got to end it there, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your campaign. Do you have a website?
8: Um, I don't have a website, but you can look me up on Facebook. Um, I'm listed uh William C. Harris on Facebook. You can find a lot of information there. In fact, I have a few videos posted from when we had the candidate forum a couple of weeks ago there. And um, also, I have some information and some literature. And then you can basically see the kind of person that I am and who I represent.
2: Well, Will, thanks for spending this time with me, and good luck to you.
8: Thank you, sir. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate this interview. You have a wonderful day.
2: Take care. More of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
1: From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh
4: yeah. Hi, I'm Alexander Zajic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.